my interest in baseball is relatively new. I once pigeonholed it as a slow, boring schoolyard game. Then my eyes were open to the complexity of the sport, the detailed execution, the unique communication, and the strategy. Oh man, the strategy is glorious. Now I reiterate that this is a new revelation. So I'm not gonna imply I know everything or really too much about baseball. What I do know is that there is so much more than meets the eye. It's a masterful execution of communication, teamwork, and problem solving on the fly. Pun totally intended there. The batter is not simply trying to hit the ball. He's trying to hit the ball in a very specific way to get a very specific result. Either to move one of his players onto another base or get his team into a more advantageous position. He has a lot to calculate in his head while being up at bat. And the pitcher, boy, does he have a lot of work to do. He's reading the catcher's funny hand signals to ensure the right pitch at the right time. He relies on the catcher to see what's happening behind him and what's about to happen with this pitch and even the next batter. Then there's the third base coach going crazy with hand signals and getting his man to round the bases fast. All this is happening while I'm eating my hot dog and drinking my beer. There is so much interconnected play that has little to do with throwing a ball and someone hitting it. If just one of those players didn't do his job, I bet baseball would be a lot less interesting. The thing is, each player has his own job to do, yet they all know they are playing baseball. The overall outcome can be affected negatively or positively, depending how each person does their job. And what's great is that every player knows what the other person should be doing, they know when someone didn't do their job because then they have to clean up the mess. So you might be wondering, what does baseball have to do with the lab? I think quite a bit, minus the hot dogs and beer. I'm Kathy Bowers, and you're listening to The Objective Lens. A medical laboratory has many what I'll call players. There are lab assistants, the technologist, bench and senior, ones and twos. There is also pathologist, cytotechnologist, genetics techs, and so on. There's a lot on the go. And any given time, several of these players could be working on generating results for the same patient. In other words, all their efforts are focused on one common goal, find information for this patient. So how much communication is occurring between these departments? Like the baseball field, are there hand signals indicating everyone's next move? Probably not. Basically, these samples are going to all these lab areas, but we all work independently. So um, there's not a lot of communication between the areas, at least at the MLT level. There is, there is more communication done, I think, um, at the pathologist level, because they're the ones kind of putting together the results from all of these different lab areas. But my... I, my project was kind of to uh, educate MLTs about um, what other areas there are and what we're doing with the samples. So, like, for example, someone that's at the presentation might be from hematology. They know what's going on in hematology, but they don't really know what's going on in the other four areas. So it's interesting just to see um, that, that that case, that patient's sample is going to all these different labs, and we're all working on it kind of concurrently, but we're not necessarily interacting. 
JP Nadeau is a clinical molecular genetics technologist at the University Health Network in Toronto. In 2017, JP presented at the annual MedLab conference LabCon about the interaction between lab professionals, and that's the project he mentioned. The feedback we heard after that presentation prompted me to explore this a little bit more. It seems like such a simple concept, but communication within the lab is a bit of a gap we've all just become used to. We've all been taught the benefits of interprofessional communication, the idea of communicating effectively with other health professionals. But what have we done about intraprofessional communication? JP asked the same question. The lab is a busy environment. University Health Network's laboratory medicine program, where JP works, is the largest hospital diagnostic lab in Canada and one of the largest academic labs in the world, with over 525 staff members. As a molecular genetics technologist, JP wasn't familiar with the other disciplines, and he wondered why this was happening and what he was missing out on. This curiosity inspired him to dig into the benefits and importance of intraprofessional communication. A lack of interprofessional communication and collaboration in the lab can lead to confusion, misunderstandings, and even mistakes affecting patient care. So how can we get better at talking to each other? It's much more important than who's on first. To illustrate the point, I'll let JP walk us through the movement within his lab in a hypothetical scenario, a patient with leukemia. Generally, when a patient comes in, they usually will have a blood sample taken, and there will also be sometimes a bone marrow sample taken. And then those, there might be um, you know, multiple vacutainers taken, and those will all go to different lab areas. So um, Judy Tran works in the hematology lab, and they get pretty much every sample and a few, um, typically uh, a complete blood count is done. Um, they may make a peripheral blood film where they basically um, uh, put the, get the blood cells on a slide and they get to look at it and do what's known as a differential count. So kind of count um, the different types of cell, the cell types that are there. And um, those are just kind of the, the starting tests that just kind of done routinely on new samples, then the bone marrow part portion will go to the bone marrow bench, and there they actually make slides out of them, and those slides will then um, be used as a pathologist for looking at the bone marrow and then determining, um, you know, stuff, uh, results based off of that, and then the bone marrow aspirate is the sample that actually comes to us, so then we will get that sample. We may also get our own blood sample in our specific tube. It's called an EDTA tube, and that's the, the preservative that um, doesn't interfere with molecular testing. And then uh, Shab works in cytogenetics, and she will probably also get her own sample. So I guess basically a patient might have to give, they might draw three or four blood, blood tubes, and then if they need a bone marrow, biopsy, then they'll um, we'll do that, and if they have to take an aspirate, then they'll also do that. Okay, there's a lot going on there, and that's just for one patient, as their sample rounds the bases. Let's take a bit closer look at those other areas of the lab he talked about, and hear from some of his colleagues.
Judy Tran is an MLT in the hematology department. She works with JP at the University Health Network. Here, she describes the role of her department in processing the sample. The first step is for us to determine where that sample is coming from. Um, the second step, I'd say, for at least the CDC part and point of view, is it would go through the analyzer and we would see whether or not um, there are abnormal uh, parameters. And with a leukemia patient, you'd likely have abnormal parameters or abnormal flags. And so when I talk about a flag, it can be something where the analyzer thinks that there are blasts in a sample. And it'll give you a confidence interval um, suggesting that it's X percent confident in the fact that the sample might have blasts, which are a type of um, cell, a white blood cell that is often found in um, cancer patients, leukemia cancer patients. Moving from that, we would, at the CDC bench, we would determine whether or not that patient needs a blood film. And in this case, they would very much likely need a blood film. And so we would um, print out the analyzer report and we would order what we call a scan or a differential. So a scan is basically asking a technologist in morphology to say whether or not they agree with what the analyzer has determined as the um, parameters and, and, it agree, and whether or not that technologist agrees with the counts that it's been giving. Um, a differential holds back the differential of the white blood cells. And so with the white blood cells, um, the technologist will end up counting um, 100 cells and classifying them as one of the different types of white blood cell types. And if that technologist in morphology believes that this is a first-time case and they need more information, um, they may ask for the hematopathologist take a look at the slide and to make some sort of um, decision or judgment um, into the case. While some of what Judy explains seems routine, I did notice how often there was a need for collaboration or interaction with other technologists from other departments. Let's hear from another area of the lab and what they do with the sample. Shab Salahi Rad, a cytogenetics technologist also works at the University Health Network alongside JP and Judy. Basically, we're looking at the bigger picture. So molecular looks at DNA samples, right, or RNA. We're looking at the chromosomes, right? So we look at, uh, we basically uh, get samples, um, culture them, harvest them, and then um, make slides and scan those slides for metaphases. And uh, if we see abnormalities, you know, relating to the type of cancer that the patient has, then uh, the report goes out, you know, with uh, that abnormality indicated. So from that little lab tour we just took, you get the sense that there are many moving parts happening in several areas, yet they were all working towards a common goal. In our example, it was determining leukemia. In this situation, and in really any lab environment, we can see how good communication between each of the departments is important. Do 
more generally about communication, um, I think clarity is just a really important part of you're delivering uh, a message and receiving a message. And I think in the lab, it's just also extra important that um, communication, good communication is key um, when you're delivering a message to a colleague, just getting getting it done efficiently and getting all the details there. I think that um, as MLTs, we need to really focus on good um, uh, communication. And I think that should be a focus of a lot of the professional development out there is is focusing on communication uh, styles, um, how people will um, interpret your message differently, and and making sure that your message is as clear as possible. So to just reduce communication errors, because I think that can have an impact on um, patient care if communication is not done uh, appropriately. JP mentioned something in there I want to highlight that as MLTs and MLAs. Clear communication should be a professional development focus. If you were a lab professional in Canada, you likely went through a training program that included a communication or professional conduct type course. I hope you paid attention in that class. The focus does tend to be on interprofessional collaboration, as in how to communicate professionally with other healthcare workers. Another component of that should have been intraprofessional communication. That's the skills you need to communicate with your own colleagues, on your team, in your lab. The CSMLS has placed high value on professional communication skills. It's one of the reasons why it's part of the competency profiles for both MLTs and MLAs, which is the basic building blocks for entry to practice. It's been in the competency profiles for well over 20 years. This isn't a new fad or trend. If you were sitting in that communications class in school, thinking it was not as important as learning the technical skills, well, I hope you're listening now. According to the Institute for Healthcare Excellence, it's estimated that up to 50% of preventable medical errors are related to communication breakdown. 50%! This institute is an American organization, so I'll assume these are American numbers, but I think we can relate here in Canada too. Seems there are a lot of people who miss the point of their communication class. Don't get me wrong, having solid technical skills in this field is extremely important, but stellar communication skills are essential to your career and, well, your life too. does stellar communication skills really mean? You may think you're a great communicator at work. You say what you need to say, tell people what they need to know. You're good. Oh no, my friend. Communication is so, so much more than that. The fundamental laws of communication that apply to everybody everywhere all over the world, no matter what language we're speaking, what country we're in, are one, that we're always communicating. So if we think about that in a way, a bit of, bit of reflectiveness about that, you are never not communicating. And researchers tell us that there's only two times in your life that you are not communicating. One, when you're asleep, and two, when you're unconscious. 
But all the rest of the time, you are communicating. Most people don't get that until they think about it. But we are always communicating. And you could say, well, I'm not saying anything. But in fact, you are really communicating with your voice, with your eyes, with your hands, the looks on your faces. You are communicating. That's Sue Vanderbent. She's a facilitator at the Communication Skills Lab, part of the Interprofessional Education Program at McMaster University's Faculty of Health Sciences. She teaches communication skills to students in different disciplines, including nurses, doctors, and physician assistants. Her job is to make sure that students are equipped with strong communication skills when they enter the healthcare field, giving them the tools to understand conflict and be a supportive team member. I asked Sue about working within a team environment and how communications plays a role in team success. When I teach at Mac, I teach to teams, and this would be a team of students that come together for a three-hour period, so they are absolutely one-shot team. When you work in a work environment, you might have been working with the same people for years. You might have been working with them 40 hours a week for many years. So you get to know people quite well in that intimate work environment. It's very enclosed. And so you come to know them as people, generally, and as colleagues. And there's often, uh, there are good teams uh, and good work environments. And we've all been in some good groups and work environments that we loved. And we've all been in some where we were not happy. And I'll bet you, your listeners would have experienced both because I've experienced both. So when you live in a environment, a work environment that's good, then you have a functional team and functional environment. Um, You have a team that understands its collective goal. So it's clear about its goal and what it has to do to achieve the goal and help one another and work with one another and achieve the goal. You demonstrate respect for one another. So to achieve our goal, we have to work together demonstrating respect. And this doesn't necessarily mean that I have to like everyone because I maybe can't like everyone, but often well-functioning teams do have that element of you know, they're not unhappy to be there with their work colleagues. I mean, nobody's happy to go in Monday morning, but by the end of the day, you know, we've had a few laughs together and we've got the work done. Um, they, so they do demonstrate respect, which means um, they, they care about each other. They give each other opportunity to have a break before them because they know that, you know, they've had a rough time or some, for some personal reason. Um, good functioning teams are client-focused as well as goal-focused. They make team decisions. I don't think anyone is going to argue about the importance of good team decisions and having a common goal. If I relate this to the lab, it seems like common sense. Of course everyone is focused on the patient needs, to get results out accurately and quickly. Of course you want to make good decisions in that process, especially the decisions that will affect other people or ultimately the patient. But this might be one of those cases of easier said than done. 
Here's Shab's take on what it's really like on a day-to-day basis in the lab. The fact that we're so busy, you know, like um, everyone has their own thing to do, their own um, you know, uh, responsibilities, and it's so hard, so hard to get away from, okay, let me, let me finish this patient and, you know, let me get the results out, you know, because it's important. And then you forget about these, these little, well, actually big connections that you need to understand, right, in order to, if someone asks you, well, like, where does the sample come from? You could answer that, right? Or if there are any sort of issues with a sample, you know where to go to deal with it. It's that busyness that becomes the culprit, or should I say the crutch, of poor communications. Everyone is busy. We get that. But is there something else at play? I think there is, and Shab touches on it too. You really, really don't think about the other side, you know, the the other labs that are involved because you just get the sample, you just go through your thing, and you kind of forget about where the sample was to begin with and how it got to you. I'm not going to say that we don't care what other people are doing, but there comes a point in your career where you are just putting your head down, getting your work done, and everything else sort of just fades into the background. I'm not saying that every other person's job has to become front and center, but a little more understanding can go a long way. Communication is an important part of patient care and is fundamental in upholding the standards for safety and accuracy. When things don't go as planned or errors occur, That's when good communication and solid teamwork really shine. Judy explains why she feels it's always worth the extra time and effort to work on this essential skill. There have been cases where it can be very difficult to receive an answer immediately um, from someone. And and I don't think that, at least at UHN, I don't think the culture is trying to put blame on anyone if a mistake does happen that it's sort of how do we move forward to prevent it from happening again. Um, So I think that um, as a technologist, as a medical laboratory technologist, it's sort of your responsibility to take action to um, ensure as much as possible that that, um, the patient result that you're releasing is as accurate as it can be. and occasionally it might be something as simple as, oh, yeah, they, that patient received a blood transfusion yesterday, so that's why their blood parameters are different from what it's used to. Um, but then there are cases where there's a bit more um, reluctance or a bit, it takes a bit more time and effort to try to find out the source of the error. Um, but I think that if you can catch those errors, um, it's kind of worth the effort um, in making sure that the patient doesn't end up with an affected result. And occasionally, if, if all else fails in terms of communication and trying to rectify the situation, then we as a technologist can document in the um, patient record saying that this is the follow-up that we took and we are releasing this result but the results don't correlate with previous results, so we suggest that you um, collect another patient sample. 
So we've identified the need for consistent communication within the lab itself. We recognize that it's important because it could affect patient care. So what do we do about it? Here's Judy talking about a tool that many labs use. So the safety huddles that we have at UHN are um, held every morning, and it's an opportunity for us to fill out what's called an Opportunities for Improvement, or an OFI card, and we basically voice any concerns that we've had. So we look back on the last 24 hours, or if in the case of a Monday, then last 48 hours, um, to see if there were any um, instances that could have affected patient or uh, staff safety and, and health care. Um, and if there is, then what the issue is. And we sort of set a timeline on when we want to get the, the issue resolved. So it can be something called start the clock, which means um, time is ticking and we need to um, we need to follow up on it immediately, or it can be something that we set a deadline for and it'll take a little bit more time to follow up on. And so we'll have our own departmental um, safety huddles, and then that can, depending on what issues are addressed in those um, huddles, that can be escalated to the director's huddle, and it can basically be escalated up in a timely manner. Um, and other people can get involved, um, basically. So, so that is a potential area that I think has helped us in terms of how we deal uh, with safety and, and ensures like regular um, communication. I've heard of other labs doing similar quick-style check-in meetings. It seems to work well to keep everyone up to date on the most pressing issues. That helps with safety and resource concerns. But what about just getting a better understanding of what everyone is doing? I really like this idea that Shab talked about. I think a few years ago we used to have these um, little walks um, around different labs. You know, you, you could visit um, like in a smaller group. You could go to different labs and basically get a little bit of a taste in terms of how they do their thing. Um, how they process samples or what exactly they do, right? And that hasn't been happening for the past few years. So, I, you know, it's that sort of uh, connection has been lost a little bit. It would have been nice to have that so that, you know, new people within our lab or any lab really could understand what other labs are up to. I like this idea, almost like a show and tell of each lab department. Unfortunately, it sounds like they don't do it anymore, and Shab didn't really have an answer as to why it stopped. Who knows, maybe it's just one of those things that gets cut back when time and workload pressures increase. And it's too bad, really. Because the safety huddles are great. They make sure the most important things are getting said and dealt with. That's all well and good. But the other idea, the show and tell, is more about fully comprehending your colleagues getting a little peek into the world, and that can have an immense impact on your own work. And really, when we drill this conversation down even further, don't you want to help yourself? Okay, I'm going to take this in a bit of a different angle now, and I don't mean for it to come across as selfish. 
hear me out. Being seen as an exceptional communicator is never a bad thing. I alluded to this idea earlier. Most of your colleagues have comparable technical skills. They should, otherwise they shouldn't be working in the lab. But what sets you apart from others? Your ability to work well with others, being a reliable team player, and getting your thoughts and ideas across to others in the most effective manner possible. Keeping your head down and only interacting with a handful of colleagues in your specific area will only get you so far. You may be surprised at the wealth of knowledge you may be missing out on, just down the hallway or even at the next bench. So yes, communicating with colleagues is important for patient care, but don't forget about the impact on your own career these skills can bring. Here's Sue's take on the subject. It's really... I think as human beings, our biggest skill set is your most important competency. None of us can do anything if we don't learn how to or practice our good communication skills. Uh, We have to make time to know about, especially in a work environment, what others do, how their workflow goes, how I can help that, uh, how we as a team can make sure that the work gets done. It's a human skill. It really doesn't matter what your work environment is. You need this essential skill. I've given you a small idea of why communication is so important within the lab. But how do you get started? I asked JP for his thoughts about what he does in practice and how anyone can make improvements. Myself, I like to um, kind of go by, so if I'm delivering a message to someone else, for example, I like to use just like verbal, like social cues, you know, head nodding. Um, I like to hear when the person receiving the message, when they get them to kind of repeat it back to me, not like very formally, like, can you, I'm not going to ask them, please repeat what I just told you, but just um, maybe ask them like a question, oh, Maybe even did you understand that, or um, can can you think of a better way? Just qu- kind of probing questions to see if they they understand the message, just to make sure. Um, that's just a strategy I use. Um, obviously, there's going to be people that are better communicators than others. It's all about just making sure that the message is received um, between the sender and the receiver. Um, but, but I really think it's focused on. Uh, professional development and and you know there are lots of courses that could um be helpful for people that struggle maybe with with um communicating or even just for everyone to improve and i think that could have a positive impact so i think getting um encouragement from management maybe to take these classes or to spend some time outside of the lab practicing communication I think that is really the, the, the way to um, improve it. If you don't have it, or it's not quite stellar, well, there's hope for you yet. It's learnable. You can learn to be a better communicator. You can even be that advocate in your lab to help improve intra-professional communication with your own peers. And I'm not suggesting special hand signals or anything like that. Although, that might be fun. 
But from everything we learned, the effort and time put into a better connection among the different lab departments is worth it for you and for your patients. The Objective Lens is written and produced by Michael Grant and myself, Kathy Bowers, and is the official podcast of the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science. Administrative support by Redmilla Minor. Editorial and editing support by Erica Dow. For other episodes, supplemental content, and bonus material, visit our website at podcast.csmls.org. If you're in the medical laboratory field, you'll want to go to the website to find a link to a short quiz. By completing the quiz, you'll earn a certificate verifying professional development hours by listening to this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Come chat with us on Twitter at CSMLS or Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash CSMLS. Thanks for listening.